This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Joining me on the phone from the band CCR, it is drummer Doug Clifford. They are currently on their farewell tour and uh, looking around the musical landscape. Tell me exactly who isn't on a farewell tour. It seems to be uh, the the thing, uh, le soup de la jour, if you want. It's, it's the soup of the day in, in the rock world. Uh, farewell tour after farewell tour after farewell, farewell tour. But uh, the band did come up to uh, Canada or Quebec in the summer. And uh, Doug, unfortunately, because of a health issue, wasn't able to make that show. And he was replaced by a drummer called Ron Wisco. And uh, on the next episode, I'm going to give you an interview with Ron Wisco because he's one of those musicians, musicians who, you know, has never had that sort of fame and glory, but has been a, 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 a workhorse. And he did spend some time with Foreigner at the end of the 90s and even recorded an album with Mick Jones and Lou Graham a foreign album that to this day, to this day, September of 2019 is unreleased. And I've had a chance to hear those songs and they are great. Uh, maybe someday those songs will come out, but tomorrow, well, uh, not tomorrow, next episode, I will put out this Ron Wisco interview. We will talk about being a uh, workman, drummer, and, and getting these different gigs, coming in and replacing Doug Clifford, being in Foreigner, and all these other bands he's done. And we will talk about this unreleased Foreigner album. So that's a good one. Now, uh, with Doug, other than that, we talked about a, a special show coming up here up uh, at the end of September. And we talked a little bit about John Fogarty and how those guys just don't get along. And I have to say, there have been situations where, you know, a next lead singer and a drummer or a this and that, and they don't talk to each other and they split up and then there's two versions of the band and then there's, there's this and then there's a... And I get put in between and it drives me crazy. I should not be involved in band politics. I do rock journalism. And if you guys split up and there's two bands, whether they have the same name or not, it's really not my issue. If I want to interview the guy in this band and the guy in this band that has the same name as that band, that's what I do. I tell stories and I let the fans decide. And you know, I've I've had these situations over the last five, ten years where, and I'm not going to start naming band names because I don't want to do that, but I will give press to everybody who's been in these bands, and then one guy will phone up and say, how dare you give him press? And it's like, well, listen, I tell stories, and I support rock, and the fact that you people can't get your house in order shouldn't mean that I have to pick sides. I don't have to pick sides. I, I really don't. I like rock. And if you come out to a show and you put on a show and you deliver the songs and I've had a good time, I'm in. So, so this, 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 anyway, you know, as things move along in the podcast world and in the broadcast world and in the rock world, I personally, and I'm speaking for Mitch LaFawn, nobody else, have gotten tired of the politics, you know, 
another situation that comes up that I've totally fed up with is, you know, a, a new band will go out on a concert tour, they'll put out an album, and the publicist will send you an email, and then the local concert promoter will send you an email, and the record company will send you an email, and sometimes in my case, a band member will send me an email. So now I've got four emails. And out of common courtesy, I will reply to all four emails. So the record company says, hey, do you want to set up an interview with the band? And I will write back and say, well, yes, of course I would like to set up an interview with the band. And then the publicist will send me a, an email and say, would you like to set an, an interview up with the band? And I'll write back and I'll say, well, yes, of course I'd like to set up an, an interview with the band. And then the local promoter saying, hey, the band is coming to town. Would you like to set up an interview with the band? And I'll say, well, of course, yes, I would like to set up an interview with the band. And then the band member will write and say, hey, do you want to set up an interview? And somewhere along the line, somebody will write and say, well, I heard that you asked the record company for an interview. So, yeah. And it's like, no, I didn't ask the record company. You all sent me an email and I answered. Stop playing this game of, I can only exclusively answer your email. If four of you send me an email, I'm going to answer all four of you. And if somehow it pisses on your parade, well, guess what? Get better organized. Have a conference call with the record company and the promoter and the band guy and say, okay, there's one person in charge here. We will send out the, 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 the request to the media and we will take the, uh, the replies that come in. Period. End of story. But if four of you send me a, an email and I reply to all four of them out of courtesy, don't come groveling to me or not groveling. You're actually not groveling. You're complaining. Don't come complaining to me that I've, you know, I had that recently. Uh, uh, band was coming here. I put, uh, the publicist reached out and said, hey, but I said, can I have an interview? And they said, well, not, the, the schedule's not going to work, but you can check out the show. And then I heard back from the local promoter and said, well, you know, you, you shouldn't have contacted them. You know, all those requests for shows uh, should go through us. And it's like, but I was speaking to the publicist. They, they wrote me. I, you know, so, so I'm tired of being the person that gets shit on when your house is not in order. I'm sorry, bands, if you've split up and you have 87 different members running around with 87 different band names going, this is so-and-so featuring so-and-so, and this is so-and-so featuring so-and-so, guess what? That's your problem. That's your problem, not mine. And if I support both versions, God bless me, because I like to support rock, and I will support both versions. You know? C'est la vie. Now, I, I know I went off on a tangent, but... I have been on Facebook and stuff saying, you know what, I'm just getting tired of these politics. I'm really getting tired of the politics. And um, I, I ponder the future of doing this. I think I do it well. Uh, you know, on Twitter I have, uh, you know, almost 14,000 followers, 4 million Twitter impressions a month, I think, with 4 million Twitter impressions a month, I have an impact. The show does uh, an incredible amount of downloads and listens. You know, on YouTube, in the last 28 days, I have had 132,000 watched minutes. You know, if you compare me to Justin Bieber or, or, or uh, 
whatever, Beyonce, do I have a lot of watch minutes? No. But if you were to compare me to some other rock podcast, do other rock podcasts have 132,000 watched minutes in the last 28 days? Some do. Not many. Not many. So don't start pissing all over my parade because I happen to reply to two emails that you both sent me. And if you're out there touring and there's another version of your band out there touring, well, figure it out. That ain't my problem. And if I want to talk to both bands and support both bands, then I will do that. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. It's not up to you. It's up to me, who's not 12 years old. At my age, if I decide I want to go to an ex-band concert on Saturday night in Montreal, and on Sunday night I want to go to ex-band's ex members version in Quebec City, I will do that. And if I enjoy both, good for me. And if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. Oops. I mean, bugger off. All right? We're clear. So, you know, anyway, uh, sorry, Doug, Mr. Doug Clifford. I'm ranting on your uh, talk up, but uh, anyway, uh, fans, let me know. I mean, am I wrong? Can we not support both bands or or the 87 versions if we so choose? Can we not? Now, I'm also saying you don't have to support. You could say, I, I support this one because that's more members or whatever. Or I support none of them. The hell with them. If they're not going to be all the originals in one band, screw them. Those are positions. So you can have, I'll take one over the other. I can take none. Or I can take it all. There are sort of three positions, and I think they're equally valid. If you like band A over band B, I understand. I'm on your side. Good for you. If you like none of them and say, listen, this is not 1988 and whatever's out there, it, it sucks. Okay, that's your prerogative. But if I say I'm going to support both, guess what? My prerogative. And right now... I have the Bobby Brown song, My Prerogative, going through my head, and that is bad. <laughs> oh, now I've got a Michael Jackson song going through my head. All right. Before I drive myself crazy with all kinds of snippets of old songs that I really don't like going through my head, let us get over to the one, the only, drummer extraordinaire for CCR, or as we say here in Montreal, CCR. <laughs> Doug Clifford. We are speaking with Doug Clifford of Credence at Clearwater Revisited. Good day, sir. How are you? Excellent. How are you? Good. Good. Pleasure to talk to you. In fact, I was out at the um, Tesla Def Leppard show in Montreal yesterday, and we started talking about, about you and drummers and bands, and there was just a lot of love for... Uh, CCR and for you particularly as a drummer and, and stuff. So I just, just wanted to share that with you. There was great love and respect for, for, for what you've done. But uh, you've got this concert for a cause coming up in September uh, with the Museum of Making Music and the Friends of San Pasquale Academy. Um, explain to me and to the folks, what is the concert for a cause and what's, you know, what's it all about? Well, it's it, to me, it's a, it's about education and and uh, the arts. Uh, uh, and 
unfortunately these days are taking it in the shorts. Uh, and the, what what a lot of people fail to understand is that uh, uh, art classes aren't set up to music and let's, let's go directly with music classes uh, aren't, aren't trying to create people to uh, uh, go and join a band and, and, and trying to have a career, necessarily a career in music. I, I, that option is certainly uh, open, but it's to uh, work the other side of the brain, the creative side of the brain. And uh, in, in, in the world of business, now you think arts, business, doesn't make sense. Well, it does make sense because uh, the way people can stay ahead uh, of the competition is to be creative. So uh, using that, the creative side of the brain gives, gives you a, a, an arsenal of, of things that you can use in your life, not just in business, but in your life that uh, uh, will really help you out. It really will. So, so, so talk to me about um, not just that, but also the overall power of making music. Because you've, of course, made music for, God, going on 50 years now. How has that 60. Af- 60 my lord yeah. <laughs> it goes by so quick so so talk to me just in general about the power of making music and and how has that uh enhanced your life well i started buying records rock and roll records in fact it was the birth of rock and roll uh it was uh, roll with me henry by etta james i was 9 years old and then the second uh record I bought was Bo Diddley by Bo Diddley, and you can see where uh, it's leading. I I just continued to uh, collect wonderful rock and roll as it it evolved. And uh, it's hard to describe the feelings. You know, this was before I was playing an instrument. I I used to dance, and they called it bopping back then. Uh, And uh, uh, I... uh, uh, it just it makes you it makes you feel really really good. You get your heart rate up a little bit, and uh, uh, just wonderful things come happen to you. You know, you just, it's a it's a it's a a, a relief. Uh, and I'm a, was a was a kid, of course. You know what kind of stress does a kid have? Well, I guess there are stresses that are uh, relative to your age that that are out there. But it it it, it allowed me to kind of be free if you will uh and uh uh, light and 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 bubbly (laughs) it does you know uh i I will remind the folks of course that you can check this out on museumofmakingmusic.org the uh tickets and the 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 concert event is is there for you to to check that out but i want to get over to the band uh good old ccr we are 50 years in to the time where you released three albums in one year. Do, do you remember 1969, right? We, we had those three great albums. Um, uh, what were they? Uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Bayou Country. No, not that, that was the first one. Bayou Country, Green River, and Willie and the Poor Boys. Um, yes. You know, we don't do that anymore. Now, now bands will put out an album, and four years later, they will maybe consider put out a single, and, and we've really, we don't do it the same way. Talk to me about that that time and getting those records done so quickly. Looking back, was that a great thing that you had a lot of music and you had stuff for the shows to play and, 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 and music for the fans? And Or do you look back and say, hmm, 
maybe we should have just done one album a year and picked, you know, the eight best and just how do you sort of look at that and 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 the changing times of getting a lot of product out to now barely getting product out? Well, uh, I, I call this uh, the Roman candle of rock and roll. I mean, <laughs> and the time really flew, and, and John's theory was that if we were ever off the charts, we'd be forgotten. Uh, that's ridiculous. None of our peers did it, uh, and they were certainly not forgotten. Uh, but that was his, his theory. So uh, to make things even worse... We had double-sided hit singles, so instead of having a, a, a single that lasts, you know, I don't know how long a single would last, but let's say, say uh, two months, uh, we we would put a single out and both sides w- would be a hit. So in other words, you've got four months worth of music in half the time. So that, that's speeding up the clock pretty much right there. Uh, but uh, only only a few bands were able to have double-sided hits: Elvis, the Beatles, the Stones. Uh, it was it was certainly a company uh, that we were proud to be part of. But uh, it wasn't really intended that way. We didn't intend to do it that way. It just happened that way. Radio uh, embraced it, and uh, they said, "Hey, there, there's a pretty cool song on the other side of this thing." So <laughs> there we were, burning burning the clock big time. Uh, we were uh, very disciplined, very disciplined, uh, and uh, uh, that's why uh, we were able to do, do that and, and to tour behind them. Uh, so 1969 uh, flew by, I will have to tell you, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we didn't have to keep that pace up because Cosmos Factory, when it came out in in 1970, was number one uh, on the charts for 12 weeks. So, uh, and then it had, you know, time on either side. So uh, that kind of gave us a little relief. (laughs) Did making so much music in such a short period of time end up uh, burning the band out? Because, you know, the breakup comes very shortly after. Was that something where there was just so much pressure and so much music and so much time in the recording studio that it just led to, there's just too much us right now. We need to, you know, uh, how pivotal was that in, in maybe causing fatigue among band, band members? Well, I don't know that, uh, uh, that it was fatigue so much as it was you know, Tom Fogarty was the, the the guy that got us together, took us into the studio. Uh, he was the lead singer and 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 band leader, and did all the all the things, and and gave them uh, uh, gave up the vocals to John because he knew John had a had a different voice uh, than his. But he never uh, thought for a minute that he would never be able to. Sing a, a, a song with credence uh, and and or submit uh, material. So that there was the, the 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 that conflict between the brothers, and uh, of course Stu and I took Tom's side because he he was the one that put us there, and uh, he I we thought he he was owed the chance. He had a good voice. He was a high tenor, but didn't have the the rough side of it. He had the Richie Ballin side of it, uh, you know, and he could have 
that we did a lot of cover songs. He, he let him let him do the bomba or do a cover. Uh, I think John thought that he might have a uh, success with it, and that might somehow threaten him. I, I really don't. I never did get the 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 reason why we were never really given an answer. But we, of course, Sue and I were on Tom's side, which put us in the doghouse with John. So there was a lot of conflict. John was also insisted on being the business manager and had no business acumen whatsoever. Uh, in fact, the opposite. I mean, he, you know, Stu has a degree in business, and he said, you know, I'm not uh, qualified to be the, the manager of a, a, a band of this magnitude. And so there were those, those, those were common battles that we had and uh uh you know it got to the point where uh uh they they overtook what what was going on when Tom left and had a, had had enough and was humiliated and so you know it, i w- i wouldn't say it was the the amount of uh, recording that we were doing but it was was other factors yeah and, and you know i i look back um at the band and i just see such lost potential. I mean, had you gone on through 75, 76, 79, you know, you could have been out there touring with the likes of Queen and, and, and Led Zeppelin and stuff. And, uh, but all right, let, let's quickly talk about uh, the band. Uh, it, it is on its farewell tour. Yes. And, and Stu has called it, uh, has called, um, revisited somewhere between a cover band, a tribute band, and the real deal. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that comment. Uh, how do you sort of see the band these days? I mean, it's been 25 years going on. Well, in fact, going on 26 years, I guess, right? 93, 94? 90, uh, 95, actually. 95. Oh, right. Uh, 93 was the Hall of Fame. Right. No, uh, oh, that's another story all to itself. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll need an extra half hour just for that. But no. Uh, but, but how do you sort of uh, look at the band and its genesis? So, okay, so we have the Hall of Fame thing and stuff, and, and you guys end up getting together and, and sort of playing music or sort of getting reacquainted and say, hey, this is, all, this is not a bad idea. Let's go do this. Um, talk to me a little bit about the genesis, but also this farewell tour. Where did you sort of come and say, okay, it's time. We had a good run. Let's 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 go home. Yeah. Well, that that's that's it for sure. I mean, twenty five years. We we were hoping to get five years out of it. We didn't know if we'd even get a year out of it. We didn't know how it would be be perceived by the fans, which was you know critic critical uh, number one. So uh, they loved it and uh, continue to love it. So. Uh, that part of it, uh, we've, we've achieved, we had a platinum album. We never planned on having a, even a record out. So, uh, we've, you know, done just about everything you can possibly do. And, uh, you know, we both have grandchildren now and, uh, uh, I just missed two birthdays, uh, one for my, my granddaughter, one for a grandson. I, I have five grandkids. And uh, and I was uh, able to be with my wife on her birthday, but it was the first time in three years that I, I was home for her birthday. There's a, there's a, a huge uh, sacrifice that your family uh, makes f- so you can do your thing, and and uh, we do appreciate it. And uh, uh, it's time to uh, uh, give a, a little love back, and uh, also traveling has. Uh, 
it's a pain in it's a pain in the butt. You know, it's just it's really hard. Takes a toll on you, and uh, then there's you know then there's the, the, the that moment of, of bliss, uh, the time you spend on stage. That's a very small amount of time compared to all the the other things that you have to do to get there uh and 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 put on a show and uh, you have to be uh, at your best and and uh, and and you know no matter what kind of travel you may have endured the guy that's put his money down to come and hear his favorite song by you better you better you better play it as good as it can possibly be played so it is it requires uh, uh a lot of uh, a lot of hard work people see you on stage with the, the lights and the music and they go, oh man, you've got it made. Well, yeah, we've got it made while we're up there, but the rest of the time uh, uh, you're sitting in an airport and your, your flight's been canceled, you're not going to make your your connection and uh, you're, you're trying to get your travel agent so you can get to where you're going and, and, and get the work done. There's a lot of stress uh, in, in traveling as well. So it, it's time, you know, we've, 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 we've hit the home run and, uh, it's time to watch it go over the fence. Yeah. And, and it's time to, uh, to just sort of sit back and enjoy the fruits of your label. And how do you look at the band after all these years? Because there's been so much litigation, you know, e- even, um, revisited had to change its name to Cosmos factory in 97 for a little bit because of, it, has it been a pleasant ride since 68 or has it been exceptionally bumpy where you just go, man, why, why did we even bother? So how do you sort of look back at everything? Well, I don't, I don't see it that way at all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There are bumps in the road and, and that's just life. I mean, you know, and it's, it's uh, un- unfortunately it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, modus operando. That's, how how it how it's been and uh you know there there are it, it, it's contentious and in in many ways but you know you get get through that and and you get to go out and play uh you know for a bunch of people that love what you're doing so uh you know the good uh, certainly outweighs the 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 rocky road uh, no doubt about it and uh you know the the that's just life, you know, and uh, uh, here we are, and uh, and happy happy to be here, and happy to have had uh, two successes, really, uh, revival and and revisited. Yeah, and of course, uh, speaking of positive, let's not forget concert for a cause, which is coming up. Uh, Museumofmakingmusic.org. Do check that out. But I will ask you about this, uh, Stu has been with you since the beginning. He's been with you on your solo album. He's been with you just... What has he meant to you on a uh, professional level in terms of playing with him, you know? But also, what has he meant to you in terms of a, you know, on a personal level? Because it's been a long-standing relationship. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a, an amazing relationship. Uh, you know, we're we're brothers in, in that sense, and... Uh, 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 and uh, uh, how can I say it? Uh, on the professional side, we, you know, we we uh, we take care of business and and uh, and, and run it run a tight ship. So uh, it's 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 
been amazing. We don't. <laughs> it's telepathic in terms of you know if we're on, when we're on stage. I mean, it's um, it's just an amazing thing, um, and uh, it's you know it's always comforting. To, to know, you know, Stewie, yeah, Stewie's right there. There he is. You know, I hear that bass, and uh, uh, we're 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 rocking and rolling. Uh, so uh, it's been uh, been an, uh, a, a, a long uh, and uh, in many ways exciting and uh, fulfilling way. Oh, it's been it's been a great relationship, and it must have been great in ninety three, ninety four when you started rekindling and saying, "Hey, you know what? Let, let's make this band go again." Um, but let me just quickly ask you about this solo album from seventy two. You were the producer of your own solo album. Was that? I've always thought that producers need to be from the outside and have an outside set of ears. Talk to me about producing your own album, and and I know that looking back now, you're not overly uh, enamored with Cosmo the album. Um, talk to me about that album, that experience, going out on yourself, being the producer, being the the everything. Well, it, it was an experiment, actually, uh, more than than uh, uh, an artistic venture. <laughs> we we were, had the the. Cosmos Factory, that's where our base uh, and uh, was our base. And we had an area uh, where we would play and re rehearse, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> and uh, work out uh, material. And then there was a, a, a you know, it was a, a, you could drive your car in. It was a, an old uh, wooden uh, factory. And uh, the idea, we had an idea of having a production company using a remote vehicle uh, to capitalize our projects. In other words, we would rent out the truck uh, with the recording for live recordings outside of, the, of, of where we were. So if, if somebody wanted to do a live album, we, we would provide the truck, uh, and uh, more than likely uh, uh, we, we'd engineer it. So uh, then we would back the truck into the building, take a snake, run it into the area where where we would play, and set the mics up that way, and rec and record uh, projects that we had uh, and, and acts that we wanted to work on. So that was the experiment to see if we could do that uh, and if it would work. So we rented the the truck and. And uh, I always wanted to play with a horn section, and uh, I knew Dave Garibaldi from Tower of Power, and and uh, so I got to know those guys. And then Donald Duck Dunn played bass on it. Uh, Stu was, uh, uh, I think, in Spain on a motorcycle. He ended up playing rhythm guitar on it. And uh, John McPhee, uh, who's a, a member of the Doobie Brothers, wasn't then, but uh, is, and uh, dear old friend. So I had a bunch of guys that I knew and I wanted to have fun and, and do things that I'd never done before but also testing out uh, the, the plan that we had so it was an experiment and so it, you know being the producer it just uh, I knew what I wanted to do and I, I you know I didn't want to spend a lot of time uh, doing uh, anything else but that I wanted to get the project done I wanted to see uh, if, if the, that concept would work so uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't uh, spend uh, a lot of time preparing for that, and that's 
why I'm perhaps not so enamored with it. Uh, I, I've since I've got another album that uh, I want to get out hopefully this year, but it'll probably be next year. That's far superior to that, but it was recorded in mid uh, in the mid '80s, and I had a studio in my house, uh, so I didn't have to worry about uh, you know watching the clock. Uh, I could go for 20 hours and not not worry about it. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the the reasoning for for the for the for the project. I had a budget that the, the record company paid for it, so it was uh, you know no, no no dent in my wallet. So yeah, that's that 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 was the the reason for it. And we had a production company. We had two albums with a guy named Don Harrison. Uh, uh, I produced uh, an album, uh, Doug Som. I actually played on three albums uh, with Doug Som and produced two of those albums. So, uh, yeah, that's that's that, that's the reason behind it. And and the important thing there is that you mentioned a new album from the mid '80s. Uh, just quickly talk to me about that. Is that just a straight up rock record? It is. Is it a you know, an 80s sounding record with a lot of synthesizers and sort of those drum rhythms of the 80s, which are very uh, distinguishable. What's this unreleased album and, and are you adding parts to it? Are you planning on releasing it as it was? What sort of and when, where, what, just, what is this? Well, you were, you were right about the, the synthesizers and, 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 the, and the Simmons drums. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it has a, a lot uh, of... Uh, uh, it, it's, it's not quite, you know, so, so completely uh, 80s uh, in that sense. But uh, but it has those uh, it has those things in it. I use a uh, synth more than I I would let's let's say today. Uh, so, uh, but I, I was uh, spent a lot of time singing. So my my vocals were far superior, uh, and I thought thought that was the weak spot of the the first album. Uh, so I'm, uh, you know, and, I, and, I, and I've written or co-written all, every song. I have no covers on it. Uh, and uh, it's uh, just a really fun, you know, I have a couple ballads on it. And uh, so it's a nice, nice mix of material and uh, some really, really good grooves on it. Uh, I had a, a terrific uh, bass player, a guy named Steve Solberg, a Bay Area kid, and... Uh, some good good players on it so uh, uh i'm i'm right now doing a a, a publishing uh, deal uh administrative deal with concord music and uh getting getting those those ducks lined up concord's a great label um let me just quickly talk to, uh, about this um rock and roll hall of fame but not not the incident maybe we'll talk about that but what do you think of this concept of a rock and roll hall of fame? Because I look at it and I see a band like Foreigner. You know, you look at Mick Jones, Lou Graham, first five albums, top five on Billboard. If I say urgent or if I say feels like the first, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And Foreigner never even considered for the rock and roll hall of fame, which is ridiculous. Um, 
is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it just sort of a nice pat on the back? Is it, how do you sort of see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and how important was it for you to get that call at the end of 92 and saying, hey, we are going to put you and Stu and John, the band, was it important or was it like, eh, all right, I'll go out and have a nice dinner and play some music? Well, it's important in one sense that your peers vote you in. That, to me, that's uh, that's the upside. Uh, to your point, uh, 400 most definitely should be in there. They're one of the best rock and roll bands of all time, my opinion. Uh, they've had had a great string of hits, uh, terrific vocals. You know, Mick uh, ran the thing pretty well. Uh, you know, I, I I don't get it. The Doobies. Uh, why why didn't they you know oh so in? many I mean sticks I mean are, are you yeah gonna, on and on and on and then <laughs> right? look at some of the, look at some of the ones that got in I know and uh, then you look at the heavy metal bands Iron Maiden uh, you know whether you like yeah. the music or not they changed the genre and they play stadiums up even up into 2019 and you're gonna say they can't get in but you know I, I, I'm yeah. not gonna name names of people I don't want to be rude to the people that I don't think belong there but you look at some of them like you say and you go. What that they had a, a single and they're in really? Yeah, mm. yeah. Th- that's the other side of it, you know. Uh, and uh, and the number that get in, you know, it's like I don't know five or six at a, at a crack. Uh, they, they should they could take a lesson from the baseball hall of fame. Uh, but um, yeah, it, now uh, to me it's just uh, it's something that. that we we achieved, uh, but it's, it's not at the, at the and then in the course of the way way it went down, uh, it has that still has a bad taste in my mouth. So uh, it's not a it's it's not a, a you know a, 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 a really important in my life. No, but but hey, you're you're in, and uh, and and I will say this just since we talked about foreigner Lou Graham is the definition of a rock singer. If you, you know, you look oh, at, man. Right? There's yeah. a few. There's Paul Rogers. But when, but if, yeah. if, if a, an alien showed up on Earth and said, what's a rock singer? You would point them to Lou Graham because that's, that's the guy. Yeah. Um, okay, so let, let me... I'll, and I'll ask you about the incident just real quick. I mean, how disappointing was it for you that after all the years had gone by, and, and we're talking, at that point, 20 years... That there was still this great animus, there was a still this great. As we get older, and, and I'm getting older myself, you know, the, you look back and you go, oh, I shouldn't have been so hard on him, or I shouldn't have been so hard on her, and I should have been a better boyfriend, I should have been a better one. <laughs> Did you? How do you sort of look at that that animus going forward, and that it hasn't abated at all after all these years? It, it... Well, I think it's gotten worse. Yeah. You know. He threw his brother under the bus, uh, and he, you know, he's dead. Uh, John uh, is a grudge man, uh, and, and that's why, in my opinion, uh, and this is off the record. And uh, out of respect, and as uh, requested, I've had to take a little part of the interview out, which, uh, yeah, I don't like doing, but, you know, you got to respect the process. Let us join the conversation with Doug back in progress. The way we we worked, we would jam, and and uh, songs would come out of those jams, and 
we would never, of course, get credit for it. So, and others, you know, he would bring songs in. And then uh, I would always try different things. Uh, I had a little more leeway because I was the only drummer in the band, and, you know, the, there's a lot of guitar players uh, surrounding me. And uh, But I was a drummer, and I knew what drums did and better than anybody else in the band. So... Uh, that gave me a little edge to get my way. Uh, so, uh, sometimes, for example, would be in "Who'll Stop the Rain." I have these kind of—they're—they're uh, they're not really rolls, but they're—they're they're like chicka 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 chicka. You know, they're—they—it's uh, uh, not quite. A, the idea was to, to have it uh, change up. Uh, and it's not quite a ballad, but it's not a, a real you know fast rock song. But put something different in it, use the drum in a different way uh, that you know was wasn't done before. So uh, John hated it, and uh, I stayed. I stuck to my guns and kept <laughs> kept putting it in his face every time we would rehearse it. I would do that. He said, "Don't put those in there." I'd put them in there, and finally he just said, "Okay, Jesus." And uh, I think it separates the song from so many other songs. And it makes it uh, helps to make it stand up and 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 be different. And uh, so, you know, there are, uh, are were other instances like that that uh, uh, worked for me. I and then I don't know how much more time we'll have, but I, I do want to ask you about this. Uh, one of the people that helped. The band, a quite a, a great deal, but has also caused a lot of this uh, issues, is Saul Sense. Um, yeah. What has Saul meant to you? Because, you know, or, or in fact, correct me if I'm wrong, but he financed the, the early recordings. He, he had fantasy records. He was active in getting the band um, noticed, I guess. I mean, if, I guess that's a fair way to say how important was he to you and and ultimately do you feel a kinship with him or ultimately do you think man this guy screwed us over in the end how how do you sort of see Saul well you know all the things you said is, is right he bought the label and he treated us right and he said uh, in his living room when, when we signed the deal he said when you guys are uh, you know making hits uh, and when you have success, we'll all share equally in the pie. And, okay, that that sounds pretty good. Well, John didn't r- realize that he, you know, he uh, the, if we wanted a record deal, we had to sign the publishing deal, and he wasn't he didn't know what it what what it what it meant and what it, what it entailed. And and of course, at that time, we didn't have any hits, and and. Uh, who knew that it would it would be as successful as as it has been? Uh, so John should never have been the business manager. He he didn't know the contracts. He didn't understand the deals that were being made. Uh, we never we, we we left. We were the number one band in the world for a couple of years. And we came, when the band broke up, we had the same deal that we signed or my parents signed because I wasn't old enough to sign. We had to, the, we had co-signed the, this contract and Tom was old enough. So in other words, 
we didn't get. I mean, we we had a, 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 a come off the street nobody's deal, and uh, we were offered at one point ten percent of the company plus the contract that we already had. He didn't understand that. All he wanted was his songs back. That was that was it. They gave him an opportunity to buy them back. The Beatles don't have their songs to this day. You know, it wasn't like a, a personal vendetta to go let's go fuck John over and take his take his songs. It was never like that, and, and it was it was business, and it was, he and everything that uh, he did dealt with business wise was a vendetta or a, a a battle. It wasn't doing business, and. Uh, but where I'm disappointed in Saul is he made he promised us, and we more than delivered on our end of the deal. He should have given us a, a new deal anyway, but he didn't, and, and it's because John had, you know, turned it into a personal personal thing, and it was you know gave him a great excuse. Well, fuck these guys. We'll keep the whole we'll keep the whole enchilada. I'm disappointed in in that, uh, and. Uh, you know, I'm I, I'm not I'm not buddy uh, buddy up with him on on that. And, and, he, and he, he broke his word. He broke his word. And and, and listen, pu- publishing and, and folks don't like to hear this, but it is the music business. It's not the music. Come give me a hug. You know. Yeah. Public, yeah. Right. I mean, publishing exactly. is uh, publishing is a commodity. And Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston and and you know the Twisted Sister, they don't own their pub. They sold it. Or they, or, or or they signed it away, or what? But that's that's business. It's the music business. Yeah. It's not, you know. Exactly. Uh, and I'm going to finish with this. Just a couple of songs uh, to get you to comment on. Last night and Monday, and then of course tomorrow, I've, I'm seeing Def Leppard, and they covered uh, with Brian May, by the way, of Queen, traveling band years ago. Just uh, talk to me about that song for you and what it means to you, and, and sort of putting it together and getting to play on it and and just how important has that song been to you just in your life because it's recognizable it's i mean it's it's iconic well it's not one of my favorites uh be honest with you i mean a lot of most of our songs are recognizable so we got that 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 uh, bit of good luck so but uh, you know i i I liken it to Little Richard sued him, by the way. I don't know if you knew that, but he sued him and won. Uh, and, you know, John played the sax on it, and I, I had all those Little Richard records. And I'm, I'm listening to real, real sax players. Yeah, you listen you know, to Good Golly Miss Molly, section. and you go, hey, wait a minute. What's that? I said, you, you listen to Little Richard's Good Golly Miss Molly, and you go, wait a minute. I hear yeah. something. Exactly. So, you know, it, it, it was lackluster for me, uh, you know, because I I, I was comparing it to uh, to that. And so, uh, my favorite song that that we did and, and and still is is Born on the Bayou. That's that's the monster there. It's a quarter note song, just like Susie Q was a quarter note song. That was all my doing, you know. No, not many people. And where I got that quarter note idea was from R and B, where guys would go in. Usually, it was in the, in the uh, in a bridge or in a chorus. They would go uh, up from uh, eighth notes up to to the bell of the cymbal to accent that and change change the change the feel of the groove to to make a musical point. And uh, 
So what it did in, the, in the, both those songs uh, is it created space for the guitarist to go back and forth within the groove, and it really is powerful. And it's so simple. You know, uh, uh, surprise, you know, that wasn't used more often. Uh, but, uh, uh, traveling band, uh, it was, it was, it, 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 it was, what I, I was comparing it with. And that was the real thing with Little Richard. So I, I, I was less, yeah. uh, into it. All right. And then I'll, I'll ask you this one. In, um, 1984, there was a band called Hanoi Rocks on their album Two Steps from the Move. They and and I checked them out because they were produced by Bob Ezrin, who had done Alice Cooper and Kiss and Pink Floyd bands that I just love. And they covered Up Around the Bend, and that version and that video was like, wow, this is epic. Uh, but of course, it's it's your song. It's 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 the band's song. Uh, talk to me about about that song just real quick because that that to me. Is it fair to say to that to me that that's the song that where you go oh yeah that's the defining song is is it the defining song for you of the band or or how do you see up around the band hmm uh, I, I I see uh, uh, born in the bayou is our defining song I'm pretty well locked into that uh, it's uh, you know it's a it's a a, a good song uh, I li- I like it. Um, uh, because it, you know, it, it's uh, kind of a happy thing, you know. Uh, you know, come come on the horizon when we're going up around the bend. That's that's a it's a kind of a uh, almost a, a Steppenwolf kind of concept, if you will. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does, and uh, and, and it's got uh, a nice, I guess, what, what do you call it, alliteration or something? It's just it just it flows yeah. nicely. It's it's. It flows nicely. It's got a, you know, it, it makes you want to, you know, want you want to go up around the bend because it's cool up there, you know. It's 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 a happening thing, uh, and 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 it wasn't heavy. It didn't have a, you know, a real heavy uh, political uh, statement behind it. So yeah, and that's the the last song we play in the show uh, with revisited. So uh, I guess in terms of that, it is. Uh, somewhat defining so yeah I, I, i'll go along with that i mean come on it's it's, it's such a great song and uh, oh i forgot one thing uh from 95 to 2004 you had the cars elliot easton yes in the band and you know the cars when you look back at their uh, discography and their look and you think sort of new wave and you think you you, you, you know you don't necessarily look at the different guys like Rick and stuff and say, man, that guy's a great player, but you have to sort of tip your hat to Elliot. I mean, he, he is a great and underrated guitarist, right? Yes. And, and, and exactly. The reason why he fit in so well with us is when he was 15 years old, he was wearing out his credence records in his room, learning every single song, every note, and uh, that was the kind of stuff he was he was doing and listening to. And when you listen to the cars, he's the guy that adds the, that that uh, that that drop of rock and roll. And he was my favorite guy in the band. Listen, he's he's Elliot Easton of the Cars. I mean, that, you know, you talk you talk about a powerhouse band. You've got Stu, you've got you, 
and and you've got Elliot. You look at that lineup from ninety four to two thousand uh, ninety five to two thousand four. Between you, you you have like forty top ten hits. I mean, it's it's incredible. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's true. It's anyway. He is good. Good on Elliot. I, I love Elliot. I love the cars. I love what uh, CCR is doing. Now the uh, the farewell tour uh, in front of me. I only have dates that run to mid October. Is that sort of it? We run till mid October, and it's merci bonsoir, thank you, good night, as we say in, in Montreal. Or is it? Oh no no no. We we're gonna put some more in November, and we'll do a couple more in January. And like when yeah, when is the end end? That's exactly right. We're, uh, we're we're gonna do a, a three show run in uh, New Zealand in January. And uh, can I come? <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. Uh, and then we'll probably do Mexico City sometime between now and then. Uh, uh, but I want to do a, a, a last hurrah show in, in the states because otherwise I got to take my whole family to uh, New Zealand or, or or Mexico, and I don't want to do do that. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I'd rather have it in the states, where not only do the could the kids come, but some of our friends could come, and and uh, you know we could say, yeah, this is the this is the final revival, right here. So uh, I, I talked to my manager about that yes, yesterday, and uh, I think that we're going to be working on ha- having uh, a final show. Uh, and we've also talked about some private shows that might come along that uh, uh, seem interesting, Uh, but, you know, we're not going to be going out and doing weeks at a time. We might do some one here, one there, or or not. You know, if if nothing looks exciting, uh, well, then, you know, forget it. So you know we have uh, some some uh, uh, openings uh, left, but uh, mo- you, you you see it all the time. This is our final tour, and then they go back out the next year. Well, it, it, it went so well by special request. Here we go. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Well, let, let's let's not forget the Who did a farewell tour in 1981, and the it's 2019, and the Who are still touring. Let's, let's yeah. not, let us not forget that, right? And yeah. Ozzy did his farewell tour in 92, and he's still touring. Uh, and, and by the way, a, a final show, I would suggest Montreal in July. Absolutely wonderful city, and it's a wonderful weather at that time. You, and, you, and you guys haven't played here enough, or, or ever. I mean, well, as, C, as the first CCR, you never played here, but as, as the revival, you've played a, hand, a couple of times, right? Not much. We got, we got to change That's that. That's true. See? That is true. Be, it'd be epic to finish here. Anyway, uh, sir, Doug, a, a great, a great pleasure. There's so much more we could do, but we've already done 45 minutes. And uh, as we say here, merci. Thank you. It's just incredible stories. You're, you're welcome. And uh, oh, let me plug this one more time. Uh, Concert for a Cause featuring Credence, a Clearwater Revisited. Happens on September twenty fifth, two thousand nineteen. It is uh, put together by the Muse- uh, sorry, the uh, Museum of Making Music and Friends of San Pasquale Academy, and you can go to museumofmakingmusic.org for every everything. 
It talks about the cause. You have ticket information. So please do that. And Doug, uh, cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Good. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. 